You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Evil, your name is our evil, except when it's Odinokibi. The U.S. is expected to make strong objections to Russian cyber privateering in the upcoming summit. Other ransomware incidents are disclosed by regional transportation operators, a possible Mustang Panda sighting, Andrea Little-Limbago from Enteros on cyber-related executive orders. Our guest is Terry Halverson from IBM on the need for investment, research, and collaboration in preventing quantum cyber attacks. And mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be DDoS jockeys. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. The U.S. FBI has attributed the ransomware attack against multinational food processor JBS to the R. Evil criminal gang, also known as Sodinukibi. The Bureau's statement reads in full, quote, As the lead federal investigative agency fighting cyber threats, combating cybercrime is one of the FBI's highest priorities. We have attributed the JBS attack to our evil and Sodinukibi and are working diligently to bring the threat actors to justice. We continue to focus our efforts on imposing risk and consequences and holding the responsible cyber actors accountable. Our private sector partnerships are essential to responding quickly when a cyber intrusion occurs and providing support to victims affected by our cyber adversaries. A cyber attack on one is an attack on all of us. We encourage any entity that is the victim of a cyber attack to immediately notify the FBI through one of our 56 field offices. End quote. Leaping Computer notes that Our Evil is an affiliate operation that surfaced in April of 2019. The gang, which operates from Russia, is generally regarded as a successor to the Gandcrab Group, which itself nominally suspended operations in June of that year. Bear that in mind the next time a gang piously or smugly says it's either seen the error of its ways or made enough money to retire. If you're quick to believe that, we've got a non-fungible token to sell you. This is the second major ransomware incident to disrupt a large player in a sensitive sector in as many months. 
May saw the dark side's attack on Colonial Pipeline, and now our evil has hit a major meat supplier. Reuters reports that most affected JBS plants resumed operation yesterday, but the incident, followed as closely as it did to the Colonial attack, has put a burr under American saddles as President Biden prepares for a summit with his Russian counterpart later this month. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, quote, We're not taking any options off the table in terms of how we may respond, but of course there's an internal policy review process to consider that. We're in direct touch with the Russians as well to convey our concerns about these reports. End quote. The ransomware attacks are an increasingly sensitive issue in Russo-American relations because of the evidence that gangs like Our Evil and Darkseid, and there are many others, operate with the permission, at least tacitly and effectively under the protection of the Russian state. The Washington Post reports that President Biden intends to hammer President Putin over the gangs during their summit, but there's general skepticism that a diplomatic protest, however starchy, will have much effect. The Russian response to complaints about its misbehavior is traditionally to demand evidence so that Russia and the complaining parties can jointly investigate and arrive at some consensus. The Post quotes Jim Lewis of the Center for Strategic and International Studies on what's likely to happen at the summit. Quote, The president is very determined on this, but the first thing Putin will do is say, prove it. And he doesn't mean prove we did it. He means prove you'll do something back. End quote. Absent some proportional retaliation that hurts the interest of people who count, few see much prospect of a change in Russian policy with respect to cyber privateering. Neither JBS nor Colonial, of course, have been the only victims of ransomware. New York's Metropolitan Transportation Authority also disclosed on Wednesday that it had sustained a hack in April, although the incident didn't affect transportation systems or personal data which should count, really, as a kind of success. The Gothamist reports that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency alerted the MTA to the incident on the day it occurred and recommended some immediate responses. The MTA brought in Mandiant and IBM to help with investigation and remediation. They didn't find any evidence of data loss or compromise of systems, so MTA's defenses seem to have held— CISA seems to have been properly alert and helpful, and IBM and Mandiant came in to help investigate. MTA says it's gratified with the way things worked out, but that it's still looking into lessons learned. MTA serves some 15 million passengers in the New York area. The Steamship Authority, which operates ferries in the U.S. state of Massachusetts, disclosed that it suffered a ransomware attack yesterday. Ferries continue to run, and there's no reported safety of navigation issue, but customers' ability to book tickets and pay for them has been disrupted. The Steamship Authority recommends using cash to ride. The Steamship Authority is best known for its runs to Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. These aren't the sort of quick 25-minute rides you New Yorkers accustomed to using the Staten Island Ferry when you're not strap-hanging on the unrelated MTA subway might have in mind. It's 45 minutes to the vineyard and two and a quarter hours to Nantucket, or so we hear. The high-speed catamarans can make Nantucket in about an hour, but if you're bringing your car along, it's a more leisurely passage. So a longer ride, but still temporal chicken feed compared to the 9 to 11 hours it'll take you to get from Melbourne to Tasmania. 
Checkpoint describes a Chinese cyber espionage campaign that deploys a novel Windows backdoor to gain access to a Southeast Asian government's sites. The campaign placed significant effort into avoiding detection by limiting its working hours and changing its infrastructure multiple times. ESET researchers who've been working on the case tweeted that the affected government was Myanmar's and that the responsible threat group is Mustang Panda. The record reports that the attack effectively transformed the country's presidential website into a watering hole. The Wall Street Journal reports a surge this week in some meme stocks, that is, a rapid rise in share prices driven by speculative chat in various social media. AMC Entertainment and BlackBerry, both popular with individual retail investors, are among the meme movers. Also surging some 10% was Samsung Entertainment, after a casual Elon Musk tweet about the kitty song Baby Shark, owned by Samsung Entertainment, pumped investment. Increased liquidity the U.S. Federal Reserve introduced into American markets last year is seen as the root cause of the speculative jumps, with social media providing powerful amplification. GameStop's rise in January and the short squeeze it produced was the first famous instance of meme speculation. And finally, a 17-year-old who'd been a junior at St. Petersburg High School before his hacking got him expelled has been arrested and charged with hacking the Pinellas County School District back in March. The Tampa Bay Times reports that the teenage boy, he remains nameless publicly on account of his tender years, organized a distributed denial-of-service attack that knocked the district's 145 schools offline for two days. The attack was especially inconvenient because it coincided with a period of testing. The student says he immediately regretted what he'd done, but that he found it impossible to unring that particular school bell. He's sorry and now hopes to get his GED and maybe work toward a career in cybersecurity after the felony computer crime business is resolved. Here's one more incentive for schools to up their security game. Not only will it protect your systems but it will remove what the lawyers might call an unattractive nuisance, too, helping the kids to stay honest. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Research and development on quantum computing continues in both industry and at the nation-state level. I recently spoke with Terry Halverson, IBM's general manager for client and solutions development for federal and the public sector. Prior to IBM, he was chief information officer for the U.S. Department of Defense. Here's Terry Halverson. I think we're probably still a ways off from true you know, quantum computers But we are certainly at the point where we are being able to start doing what I'll call the beginnings of quantum compute. Uh, We're doing uh, some work in the medical area with Cleveland Computing. And on the secure side, there's two things we, we should talk about. One is, you know, quantum proof encryptions, which is using today's uh, you know, type of computers, but changing the algorithm so that when true quantum computers are out, they will still have encryption that is quantum proof. And then there is the promise of being able to use quantum computers to develop truly quantum-based encryption. Where do we stand in terms of organizations in general putting in that effort to make sure that when the day comes, they're ready? Well, I think you're seeing, you know, some work in the commercial sector, but the biggest areas that, that I see that are really focused on that today are, are governments. Uh, certainly the U.S. government and many of its allies are, are spending research dollars today. Uh, there are government initiatives, um, you know, that are kind of funding some public sector work on the quantum proof um, encryption uh, and certainly governments today are showing great interest in developing quantum computers and are backing some of that with research dollars. Is there a bit of a, a space race going on with quantum? I mean, is this something where we should be concerned about the progress of some of our adversaries? I would just say that all governments are very interested in in getting to quantum, both quantum proof encryption, and to getting to true quantum as fast as possible. Where do you see things going in the next year or so then in terms of the, uh, the developments of these capabilities? Or are we going to see them trickling down into regular use anytime soon? Um, I think you're going to see them, you know, certainly start be- becoming more a part of government systems. I think we're probably a little bit longer, maybe a couple years before we really see, you know, quantum proof encryption going beyond maybe government um, or, or, or government related. And I will say, you know, medical is certainly a government related issue. Um, so I think you'll see some, some interest in that area. Um, and we're probably, you know, anywhere from three to five years away before I think we will see quantum and it really become, begin to become part of more of the commercial ecosystem. That's Terry Halverson from IBM. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. A quick note on this segment between me and Andrea Little Limbago. We recorded this segment right before the most recent presidential executive order on cyber was released, so there are a few statements in here that might sound a little bit out of time. The conversation is a good one, so instead of spiking the whole thing, we share it with you today and trust you can interpret it in proper context on the fly. And joining me once again is Andrea Little-Limbago. She's the Vice President of Research and Analysis at Interos. Andrea, it is always great to have you back. Um, As you and I record this, we are expecting some executive orders uh, from the U.S. administration, uh, one of them uh, probably about supply chain. I I know you're tracking these developments. What can you share with us today? Yeah, so there there are two that are imminent, and one came out, but the results of it are supposed to come out in June. So the the supply chain... Uh, executive order came out uh, in late February and basically required uh, 100 days to look at various forms of building resilience across the supply chain. So that's going to come out in June. And so it's focused on a lot of things that are you know, near and dear to you know, the cybersecurity folks as far as a lot of the components that go into building our technologies. You know, it's very emerging technology focused. It's a good part on pharmaceuticals, which, you know, which again makes sense. But for you know, this audience, there's a lot on emerging technologies, raw materials, semiconductors, batteries, everything that goes into the technologies that uh, we all try and secure. And so we'll see what happens with that. And, and really, it's toward you know, building greater resilience and also some level of self-sufficiency in it. And so that's you know, basically the 100-day review is supposed to come back and give us some idea of what, you know, how we're going to start rethinking supply chains in the United States. And at the same time, any day now, you know, we've, we've, there, there have been copies of a cybersecurity executive order that have been, you know, they've been starting to circulate. So we have, we have a decent idea, unless those drafts change, of what's going to be in it. And it's basically requiring a lot of what, you know, the security industry has been asking for for quite some time. You know, it's everything, you know, multi-factor authentic, authentication, you know, um, various kinds of security controls to be in place. Um, there could be a software bill of materials that goes in there to, in, to ensure that you have some traceability of, the, of where the code's coming from. Probably a, a breach notification requirement the thing with the cybersecurity executive order, though, it is only for federal contractors and those within the federal agencies. And, that, and I mean, and it's true for both these, but for the supply chain, it can expand a little bit more into other industries as far as the regulation. For cybersecurity, it really does focus only on the contractors and federal agencies, but it is a big first step. And it can be a, you know, for both cases, I'm hoping that, you know, it's if they're a forcing function for a broader strategic shift as we start thinking about, you know, supply chain security and cybersecurity moving forward. And for the cybersecurity law, it really... You know, it's a focus on on a defensive posture, and I think that's something that has been overlooked a fair amount uh, for for quite some time. And so, you know, apps. In, in you know, the interesting thing along with it is that, you know, on the one hand, you know, there's going to be you know for companies that fail to meet some of these requirements, you know, they'll, they'll lose the 
they'll lose the ability to work with the government. So then for many, that, that, you know, that's a large amount of money. But hopefully that spills over into other areas as well uh, and can become and can help inform a broader strategy, you know, a broader technology strategy, really, across the U.S. Could this be uh, hopefully a, a competitive advantage for companies who are able to meet these standards? They can, you know, you see in um, in in uh, marketing materials sometimes, you know, our product is military spec. That's right. You know, that, 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 you know, that sort of thing. And, and I mean, that causes a certain amount of eye rolling, I think. But but the spirit of that, you know, could that trickle down to the to the business to business and, and even consumer markets? Yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, for sure, you'll start seeing people with a military-grade security that's that's put on mm. there. But um, I do. I actually, I, I 100% think it can be a competitive advantage. And I think that, you know, again, if I, if I was in the government, that's how I would frame it as well. I mean, it's not just your good security, but it will be a competitive advantage. And this is, again, where I look at cybersecurity and supply chains is so interconnected because, you know, as companies are looking out and they're, you know, rethinking their supply chain, who their partners are, if all else equal, one has much higher security and can demonstrate that versus another one who's pretty lackadaisical about their security— the one with the higher security, I would imagine nine out of 10 times will get that contract. And so I do think that it becomes a competitive advantage, both just as far as in the selection, but then also if, you know, it should enable them to have better, you know, to have that better security that, you know, keeps their, you know, their, their company's name off the headlines, which also can become a competitive advantage. And so I do think it, it absolutely can be. And I think there's a lot that can go along with, you know, it's of making cybersecurity good business. And that's where hopefully it will go toward because we really do. I mean, it is, when we look at, you know, what's going on with the oil pipeline, you know, the city of Tulsa was hit with ransomware. And we're still trying to figure out, you know, this executive order for cybersecurity was, you know, largely framed as a response to solar winds and, you know, the whole range of supply chain attacks that have been going on. You know, it's just, it's getting old hearing, seeing the headlines of, this will be the wake-up call, <laughs> right? I mean, we've had wake-up calls, I would argue, you know, for decades now. <laughs> so um, I'm hoping... I'm cautiously optimistic this this might be, you know, a start in just reframing how we think about cybersecurity and supply chains and really preparing our federal government and our companies for either this new technological competition that we're we're emerging into. All right. Well, Andrea Little-Limbago, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. 
Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.